0: following uh, the afternoon service. We have Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. We'll have, as you notice today, we've got a few people out. We're going to have people out. Almost every week, I think, this month, somebody will be gone um, that I already know about. So uh, uh, so if you can be here throughout this month, uh, be here, it'll be uh, lonely without you. Had a hard time titling this message this week. <laughs> I'm not a great creative title- titler, anyhow, list. Oh, that makes me want to go golfing. It's um, the name of brand of it? golf anyways uh you're missing the point is apparently what i came up with so there you go that's where we're at today mark chapter 8 it's a story it's interesting story uh christ here and his disciples and uh christ he gives them a challenge and they don't seem to get it and as i was reading through and preparing this week i thought boy that sounds a lot like me (laughs) and uh Of course, I didn't say, I'm missing the point. I said, you're missing the point. So it's not about me, but uh, nonetheless, here we go. Mark chapter 8, look, starting in verse, let's start in verse number 13. And he left them and entered, uh, actually, let's start in verse number 10, sorry. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples. And he came into the parts of Dalmatnuthah. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them and entered uh, into the ship again, departed to the other side Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do not ye, uh, do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many basketful of fragments took ye up? And they say unto him, twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many basketful of fragments took ye up? And they said seven. And he said unto them, How is it? that you do not understand. You're missing the point. This morning I want us to look at just two thoughts uh, here uh, on these verses and this story that God gives us here. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray that as we look into your word, uh, that you would clear out our minds and our hearts, that we could just spend the next couple minutes focusing on what you'd have for us. And God, I pray that today as we look at the challenge that you gave the disciples, that we would heed the same challenge. And then, Lord, as you, um, for lack of a better term, share your frustration, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see uh, whether or not we are frustrating you. And God, I pray that we would receive what you'd have us to receive today. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to only say what you'd have, want me to say today. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we present these thoughts that it would be done clearly and correctly. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. An interesting question there in verse number 21 is, it? how is it that you do not understand? In the earlier part of Matthew, Mark chapter 8, excuse me, is a miracle the feeding of the 4,000. We don't talk about that one as much because it's not 5,000. Uh, so uh, we don't talk about it as much. But Christ fed on two different occasions a large group of people miraculously. And uh, and in this chapter, before he gets in the boat the first time, he feeds the 4,000. And it says that afterwards there were seven baskets left over full of food. And we'll get to the point of what he says here about the Pharisees and things in just a moment. But I'd like us to start... Actually, let's look at that again. He says there, the Pharisees, he shows up, he gets in the boat, he comes uh, to this, this place, and the Pharisees meet him there, and they begin to question him, verse 11... And they're seeking a sign from heaven, tempting him. They're wanting miracles. They want to see him do something. They want to see uh, the circus. And Christ says unto them in verse number 12, after he sighs deeply, I love that God included this in Scripture. He sighed deeply, and he says, what's the deal with you guys? I'm paraphrasing. What is it with this generation that you seek after a sign? He says, there will be no sign given. And then he gets in a boat. So it's, it's, it's as though he was going to this place. And of course, God knows what was going to happen. But he gets in the boat and he goes to a place. And the Pharisees meet him there and say, we want miracles. We want magic. We want everything going on. And he goes, "I don't, this is not what I'm here for. So he gets back in the boat and he takes off again. And he, he gives an important challenge here. And this is the lesson that God wants us to hear, too. This is the point that we often miss. So we're going to go with that first today. The, the lesson that God wants us to hear is in verse number 15. And he says to the disciples, you can tell here again, you can see frustration. You can see uh, just tired. You can just see mentally strained Jesus here. And he says in verse 15 to his disciples there in the boat, he says, Take heed... Beware, he's warning them, of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And that stands true today, that warning. Beware. Now again, they took this as literal leaven, and that's not what he means. Leaven throughout Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, is shared for us as a picture of sin. And so when he's saying, beware of the sin of the Pharisees and of Herod, That's the warning that He wants them to get. That's the point He's trying to get across to them. Watch out. And it's the point that He has for us today too. Beware of these sins. What are these sins? Now, He doesn't tell us in this passage, but typically if you take any time to study out the Pharisees, you're going to come across the three same sins on a very regular basis. So we're going to look at three sins here that I believe would be wise for us to beware of. Uh, so that we don't fall into the same traps or the same lifestyle that the Pharisees fell into. The first sin here is following traditions or ceremony over God. Following traditions or ceremony over God. This is a problem that religious people have had uh, from the beginning of time. Where we get so religious that now we're following religion and we're not following God. We get to this point in our... Um, good doings that were actually doing them for the wrong reasons. You look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew more about their Bible than more than likely us today. They had studied it. They had read it. They had uh, memorized it. They had obeyed it to a T even in things that were not necessary anymore. And soon would be completely unnecessary due to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were studious. And a lot of times, and, and, and for right reasons, we criticize the Pharisees. Christ did multiple times in his life. But I think sometimes we overlook the fact the Pharisees were trying to do good. And as a matter of fact, they were doing good in a lot of areas. And and we'll look at them and we go, Oh, those Pharisees, boy, those horrible Pharisees. And they and listen, there was plenty wrong about them. God Christ calls them serpents, He calls them hypocrites, He calls them dogs, He calls them a couple of different things in his life on the earth. But but again, let's not overlook the fact, because this is the same trap we fall into, they were doing good. They were doing it for the wrong reasons. They weren't following God. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, that's why Christ criticized them so often. They weren't actually following God because Christ is sitting here saying, here's what God says, and then they say, we want to kill you. (laughs) That's not good. But they knew their Bible, and what happened is they began to follow after traditions that they had been taught, ceremonies that they followed, a routine versus actually doing what God desired for them to do. If you'll flip back to Mark chapter 7, just the previous chapter before, look in verse number 5, it says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied Of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And He said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Look down at verse 13. Making the word of God none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Christ here calls the Pharisees on the carpet. He says, What you're doing is not of God. He says, you are so caught up in following the man-made traditions that you are not following God. In church, we have fallen into similar things. I'm so thankful for this church and what God has done in it, and God has done through it. And we committed when we uh, planted this church eight years ago that we would not be the stereotypical, pious, hot air church. We want to be a church that's real, a church that's God-honoring. You see, the Pharisees, they had one of the leaven of the Pharisees was tradition. So many people who grow up in church, and I know not everybody here did, but so many people who grow up in church, they grow up and never understand why they do what they do. They just do it because that's what church is supposed to do. And honestly, until I became a pastor, I fell into that category. And all of a sudden, I kind of had to think about, <laughs> wait a second, I would say something. I, and listen, I became a pastor at 26. Um, <clears throat> I've, you may not believe it. I've grown up a lot since 26. But I would say things in a sermon, and I'd have somebody ask me afterwards, why would you say that? I'd be like, well, what do you mean? My pastor said that. I've heard that my whole life. Okay, well, but, but, but why? I mean, you're not supposed to ask why. You're just supposed to agree. Nod your head, say amen. Wait, wait, wait a second, I don't get it. I never asked my pastor why. You see, we get into these tradition things where we're not actually thinking about what we're doing. We're just doing them because that's what we do. But you know, the Bible actually teaches us how we're supposed to do things. The Bible teaches us how we're supposed to do church. Now, it doesn't; it's not necessarily black and white where it says you should uh, you know, order your service this way. Uh, a song, a prayer, two songs, offering us another song, sermon. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But the Bible teaches us the principles and the importance of what church is and what it's supposed to be and what we're supposed to do as church members, as pastors, as men, as women, as children. All that is in, in the Bible. But what happened is for the Pharisees as they had at some point, somebody said, this is how we're going to do this. And then the next generation came along and they learned, this is how we're going to do this. And the next generation came along and they said, this is how we do this. And the next generation came along and said, this is the only way we can do this. And there wasn't a, why are we doing this? There wasn't a reason behind it. Some of them had reasons and different things. Uh, But ultimately, what Christ says in chapter 7 is, you're walking in your own tradition. He says in verse 9, full well ye reject the commandment of God, what you claim to be following, full well you reject it so that you can keep your own tradition it's not about God anymore it's about men and Christ says to his disciples you better be careful because that's going to creep into your life think about the disciples (laughs) they're with Jesus God in flesh learning under him and soon Christ would be gone He would be resurrected from the dead and He would ascend back into heaven. And the disciples would be left there in an important role that Christ left for them to do. A teaching, a training, a preaching. Uh, And and here is what they're going to be doing. and, And Christ is telling them, you better watch out because you're going to be tempted to follow tradition. And you're going to be tempted to follow man instead of God. And you're going to be tempted to reject what God has told you to do because of the applause of men. You better be careful and he says there in verse number 15 excuse me verse number 13 making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered if you fall into this trap where you're following tradition of men and not God then the Word of God becomes empty no no effect Adam talked about this in men's Sunday school this morning but the idea of your testimony at work and, and how it can be empty, if you have the wrong testimony, you, your sharing of God's word, it'll have no effect. And we all would agree with that. We all understand that. Boy, yeah, if I'm, if I'm you know, cussing up a storm at work and then I try to take a coworker inside, hey, man, the Bible says that you, know, you shouldn't be doing that with your girlfriend. They're going to say, what? what are you talking about? They're not going to listen to you. We all understand that, but listen, it's not just that. It's if we go in and follow after man's traditions and then try to share the Bible with people, it's going to have no effect. Because they're going to see that you're honoring man above God. They're going to see that you don't know what you're talking about. They're going to see that you're basing what you're trying to do on a man's tradition, on something that is not biblical, it's extra biblical. It might not be in and of itself wrong, but it's also not in the Bible. And it's going to cause a, a, a negative effect on God's word. And that's one of those sins that we better watch out for. It's one of the sins of the Pharisees. we got to be aware of those things. The second sin that I want to discuss this morning about the Pharisees, that again is very common with the Pharisees, is pride. Again, you look at Christ here talking to the disciples and He's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The sins are going to bring you down. And the same, the same sins that affected these religious men could very easily creep into the sins of other religious men. Even if they're a different religion or a different uh, theology or whatever it may be, these are the same things that can creep in. It creeps into day two and pride. Pharisees were well known as being very prideful. They, they walked around, and everyone knew they felt like the Pharisees knew that they were better than everybody else. They kept the law, they knew the Bible. all these things, they were very built up with pride. The Bible obviously shares a number of verses on pride. A couple of quick ones I'd like to share with you. Proverbs 11:2 says, "When pride cometh, then cometh shame." One of the reasons the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus was because they were always brought to shame when they were around Him. They challenged Him. They tempted Him. They they asked Him questions. And every single time they did, Christ always had an answer. And their pride was shot. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Proverbs 16, 5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Sometimes we Christians, we like to talk about the one sin that God calls an abomination. But the one that, that affects us, we would like to avoid. We're quick to tell people, you, you shouldn't live like that. The Bible says it's an abomination to God. But then when we look in the mirror and our pride is confronted and we, we see that God says pride is an abomination also, we kind of try to stay away from that one, don't we? Galatians 6, verse 3 says, If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceive himself. I heard a message one time. Uh, I may have probably shared this before, but uh, the guy gave out paper clips to everybody in the room and, and, and he said, had a sermon basically on, You are nothing. Um, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, that was really encouraging. You know, here God says, when a man thinks himself something when he is nothing, who are we? In God's eyes, we are His loving children. We are someone who He protects, someone who He cares about. In the grand scheme of things, who are we? Does God need me? No. Does God want me? Yes. Does God need me? No. He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's all-present. What am I? Well, I I know some things. I have a little bit of power. I am in one place at a time. (laughs) Um, God doesn't need me. And sometimes we get to this point where we think, I'm something special. Now, I know, I'm sure there's some people in here who would say, I've never thought that. And maybe you went too far the other direction. (laughs) I'm nothing. God couldn't do anything with me. We're not talking about that today, though. We're talking about pride. So let's go back to that. When a man thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. It's pride. Pride makes us think that we're more, uh, more special than we are. Pride makes us think that we're more valuable than we are. That without me, the church couldn't go on. Without me, my home couldn't go on. Without me, my work couldn't go on. Without me, all these things, boy, I'm special. You deceive yourself. You are special, but you're as special as the person next to you. God loves you, and God cares about you. and He cares about you a ton. Just as much as the person next to you. When we think we're something more than we are, we deceive ourselves. That's pride. James 4 6 says that God resisteth the proud. Does that sound like something you want in your life? God's resistance? I don't know about you, but I desperately need God. And if He's resisting me, that's not good. I'm in trouble. We look at the warning that God gives to the disciples, and I believe to us as well, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They follow traditions and not God. They're prideful. Number three, they're hypocrites. We saw that in Mark chapter 7. But again, God calls... the the Pharisees, hypocrites, multiple times, calls out their hypocrisy multiple times. And God warns the disciples and He warns us, don't be hypocrites. 1 John 4.20, if a man say, I love God, and he hateth his brother, he's a liar. You can't love God and hate your brother. If you say that you love God, but you're not loving your brother, your sister... You're a hypocrite. James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You say that you're religious, you go to church, all those kinds of things, but you don't bridle your tongue, control your tongue. Your religion is vain. You're a hypocrite. Matthew 7 says... Uh, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. We know that passage, right? You're over here judging everybody else. Hey, look in the mirror. You got issues in your life that need to be straightened out. You're a hypocrite. You're judging that person for their wrongdoing. Now listen, God never says anywhere in Scripture that we should not love someone enough to correct them when they're wrong. But the Bible does say that when you're sitting here trying to correct other people, when you've got issues in your own life, you're a hypocrite. Take care of your problem first. Clean your house first. God wants you to help other people, but you're not going to help anyone if you're not taking care of what you need to take care of in your own life first. James 2.20, "...but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead." We talk about this, in, in uh, and again, when we talk about witnessing to people, sharing the gospel with people, and we're saying, uh, you know, I'm a Christian, but you're not living out your Christianity. God says that without works, your faith is dead. It doesn't mean that your salvation is, is nonexistent. What it means is, is that no one else is going to see your faith unless you are living out your faith. And if you say, I am a Christian, but I have no works to prove it, I'm a hypocrite. Well, that or I'm not saved. But that's between you and God. I don't know if you're saved. It's not our job to judge someone else's salvation. But when I look in the mirror and I say, okay, are my actions proving what God has done in my life? If they're not, and I am a Christian, I'm a hypocrite. And God here says of these Pharisees, who He calls hypocrites, who He calls snakes, who He calls dogs, and He says to His disciples, you better watch out for the sins of these Pharisees because they can creep into your life too. You better be careful you're not following traditions. You better be careful you're not prideful. You better be careful you're not a hypocrite. Because you know the, the, the disciples looked at the Pharisees and they thought often hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. And Christ says you better be careful. It's not too hard for you to become one of them. And he warns us of the same things. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He also says beware of the, uh, of the uh, uh, leaven of Herod there in verse 15. Uh, in Matthew, instead of the word Herod, it uses uh, the word Sadducees. Uh, it seems to be the same thing. Um, and it kind of goes back to what we read in verses 10 through 13, the, the desire for the, the, the circus. We are only in if we can see the miracles. We're only in if we get to experience all the cool stuff. But once the cool stuff's gone, I'm out. And Christians are that way so often today where they go around and they say, man, I'm in when things are going well, when God's moving, when there's excitement, when I'm seeing good things, when it's benefiting me. I'm I'm all in, but as soon as that turns, nah, I don't want anything to do with that. If I'm not going to get to see the water turn to wine or the the blind man seeing or the deaf man hearing or uh, the lame man walking, well, I don't think I want to be a part of that. Why? Because it's work. (laughs) Christianity is a warfare and war is work. And if you only want to be around for the exciting moments, the joyful moments, you're not you're not gonna last. You gotta beware of the leaven. Beware of the sins of the Pharisees and the Sadducees or Heroes. It's listed for us, Herod. It's a great warning. It's one we need to heed. It's one we need to grasp hold of, and one we need to make sure we apply in our life. But The reality is, is a lot of times we just miss the point. And the disciples were the same way. And for the last part here, I want to talk about this. We see, first of all, the lesson God wants us to hear. Secondly, we're going to see the lesson we so quickly forget. He says there in verse number uh, 17, And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, how... Uh, excuse me, have ye your heart yet hardened? And he asked in verse 21, how is it that ye do not understand? They get into the boat, and I, I don't want to minimize God here, and I, and I pray that I'm not doing that. But again, I, what I see here in verses uh, 11, uh, excuse me, verse number 12, Verse number 13, I see Christ in the flesh frustrated. In, in verses 1 through 9, we read about a miracle that Christ did in feeding 4,000 people. In verse 10, he gets in a boat and he goes into this land, and as soon as he gets there, the Pharisees approach him and say, We want a sign. And he sighs deeply. He says, you're not getting a sign. He gets back in the boat. I just see mentally tired. We know that as a man, Christ got tired. We know that as a man, Christ uh, got hurt. We know that as a man, uh, Christ experienced the things that we experience. So he gets in the boat. Again, I hope I'm not minimizing God here. Frustrated. And he he looks at his disciples, these these people who he is investing so much time and energy in. And he gives them a a pointed challenge. Beware of what you just saw. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they immediately went, he knows we don't have bread. He, He knows we forgot bread. He's mad because we don't, We forgot bread. (laughs) Christ knows everything. And he goes, guys, bread? Seriously? That's what you got from that? You're missing the point. They had just seen a miracle 4,000 people fed. They had just seen Christ reject the Pharisees he had just given them a challenge and their minds immediately went to food we don't have enough food not only do we not have enough but he knows we don't have enough you know that feeling as a kid when you know your your parents are on to you (laughs) you were supposed to put something in the car for the trip and you're 30 minutes down the road and Mom or dad says something and you realize they know I forgot to get it. This isn't good. That's not what Christ was doing here. He was saying there is sin in these Pharisees' lives and it can creep into your life. You better watch out. And all they got from that was we don't have enough food. Christ even says, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but I fed 5,000 people and we had leftovers. I fed 4,000 people and we have leftovers. You think that the one loaf we have on this boat can't feed the 13 of us? That's not what I'm talking about. Well, why, why did they miss the point? Some of it's just immaturity. You know, God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. And yet we kind of get stuck on something that God has already proven to us that He can handle. And anytime God challenges us to do something more, we go back to that thing that He's already proven He can handle, and we just focus on that. Finances is an easy one. I know in in our lives, uh, in mine and my wife's life as, as a married couple, it's something that we've seen God provide for us. When we didn't know how or or win, or anything like that, but God did. It would be like God saying, "All right, I need you to uh, to do this thing. Uh, giving's an easy one, so give give to these missionaries, and uh, and then my focus goes right back to well, God knows that uh, I didn't, I, I I I've got, I'm getting paid this weekend, and He knows I'm getting paid, and He's wondering if I'm going to tithe. God's already said." do this and we've done it and God's provided and helped for it now he's, he's on to something different but then my mind goes back to something well I wonder if, if if when we tithe this week if God's gonna gonna provide for me hasn't He already proven that he will yes well, why are we still stuck on it it's a lack of growth an area in your life where God says I want you to get involved I want you to do this and and you go back to somewhere else that God's already proven to you he can handle and he's saying, I want you to do this. You're saying, well, I bet what he's thinking is, is this. <laughs> no, he's thinking what he said. And we get stuck in areas of uh, immaturity as opposed to growing and moving forward. The disciples, bless their hearts, listen, they're, again, not bad people. They're, they're working hard. They're, they're physically tired, I'm sure. They're emotionally tired, I'm sure. But God's saying, this is what I want you to focus on and they're missing the point completely. And we see all throughout Christ's life the immaturity of the disciples. We see it all the way up to His, resur- uh, to His crucifixion. Actually, we see it after His resurrection too. We see God said, I'm coming back in three days, and they're sitting there mourning because they don't know what to do because Christ is dead. Well, we see it all throughout this time where Christ is trying to teach them and train them and move them and grow them, mature them past these things. Just look at the garden experience before the crucifixion where Christ is saying, guys, come pray with me, and then they're sleeping. He's saying, guys, wake up, pray with me, and then they're sleeping. And then you see Christ says, you guys are all going to, a little bit later here, you guys are all going to disperse and run away. And, and, and you know, that bold disciple says, no, I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to uh, uh, reject you. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to do those things. Yeah, yeah you are because you're immature and you still have to grow and there's a growing place to come. And we are all in that stage of needing more growth. We've not made it yet. No matter how old you are, you still have room to grow in Christ. So take what God has already proven to you, claim it as truth, and then press on. Don't get stuck in the mud. Don't get stuck somewhere where Christ has already proven to you He's got it. It's time to grow. It's time to move past it. I wonder how often God looks down and He gets frustrated with the church or He gets frustrated with Christians because they're still immature. The Bible talks about milk and meat. Milk is for baby. It provides nurture and uh, nutrition and, and things that the baby needs to grow, but at some point the baby has to move off the milk. You've got to grow up at some point. And if you're going to be stuck in the immaturity, you're never going to be able to get to what God wants you to get to. And you're just going to miss the point where God's going to say, I want you to do this, and you're stuck back here. And so often, I've seen it so often in Christianity. I've been blessed to grow up in church my whole life in ministry my whole life, and and as I've gotten older, I've been able to look back and just see things more clearly. And so often, Christians will come to church on Sunday and be good people throughout the week, but yet they're stuck in immaturity. And so when God says, watch out, you don't hear the watch out. All you hear is, I don't have enough food. Right before Easter... Posted something on Facebook. (laughs) That was fun. Um, Somebody that is not in our church and did not comment on Facebook was upset about the post. And all, all I said, you know what it was, I said, you know, how can we not show up on time for church? Now, as a pastor, if you get mad at a pastor for wanting people to be on time for church, I don't know. I mean, come on. I don't think that's too, too much of an ask. We're going to miss it sometimes, right? We're going to be late sometimes. That's not a big deal. Hopefully, you know, by now, my character, my, my how I view things, I want you here. If you're late, as long as you're here, I'm happy. I'd, I'd love for you to be on time, but at the end of the day, if you're here, you're better than those balls who skipped church today. One of the reasons why one person was mad at me about the post, I got multiple messages, but I'll go to this one person because they are not associated with the church, is you're going to make people mad. They're they're going to have their toes stepped on, and they're going to be angry with you there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And maybe Facebook's the wrong way to do it. I can admit that, and that's fine. But when Christians are going to get upset because their toes got stepped on, what are we doing? I mean, goodness. And to have someone tell me, again, not in our church, Someone tell me, you shouldn't do that because what happens if someone gets upset that you said that they should be on time for church? Honestly, friends, huh, that's not my problem. Now, if I go about it the wrong way, that's my problem. If I go around it with the wrong attitude, that's my problem. But I mean, my goodness, if someone is getting ready to, to run in the street and you say, hey, Don't go in the street. I know it's different things. Please help me out here. And someone said, you shouldn't tell them not to play in the street. They might get mad at you. Okay. So let's take it further than being on time to church or playing in the street. Let's bring it down to real facts here. God says you better watch out for the sins of the Pharisees. Well, if someone's missing the point, what should we do? Should we just go, well, they miss it? Or do we try to help? And so oftentimes, as Christians, we get so petty. Oh, my goodness. In our church in Indiana, before we got there, they, had a, they added on to the auditorium, they made it bigger, and they painted the walls, and they got new carpet, and they said people left the church because they didn't agree with the color of the carpet, literally. I mean, what are we doing? That's not church. That's not Christianity. Who cares? My goodness, I've been into several churches in my life where the carpet was disgusting. There's one church, I won't say what it is, in the area that I've been to, the nastiest carpet I've ever seen, and it was brand new. Why would you put that in your church? That is Ugly. But at the end of the day, what does it matter? I don't go to church for carpet. So often we just miss the point. Man, we come to church and we'll just get upset about the littlest things. And, and that's not the point. The point is God. The point is me drawing closer to God. The point is me learning about God. But we just miss the point. And as Christians, my goodness, we just lose, we lose focus so often on what God is trying to do for us, what God is trying to do in us, what God is trying to do through us. And we miss the point because we're being immature. Now listen, we're all on different levels. If you've been saved longer, uh, if you've read your Bible longer, if you've been studying God longer, you're going to be more mature. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. If you haven't been reading your Bible, if you haven't been seeking God, if you haven't been praying, if you've not been in church long, you're going to be less mature. That's natural. That's fine. But we shouldn't stay less mature. We should seek to grow. Or else there will be so many times in our life where God is teaching us and we are going, we don't have enough bread. God says, I don't care about the bread. I care about your heart. And God says, if you're not careful, the leaven or the sin of the Pharisees will will come into your life. Get the point. I encourage you this morning to consider your time at church. Why do you come? Consider your mindset after you leave church on a Sunday. What is it? Have you taken any time, not just this week and past weeks, have you taken any time and the opportunity that you had to come and to hear God's word, Sunday school, service, and the kids aren't here in kids' class, take any time during that hour, hour and a half, whatever it is, to actually get something from God. Or was your mind on something else? Too often, while God is saying, beware we're looking in the cupboard at the bread stash. We are missing out on everything that God's trying to give us. And that hurts you more than it hurts anybody else. So this morning, I encourage you with this. Take the lesson that God gives you. Don't miss the point. And the best way that I can encourage you to not miss the point is to be faithful in doing what God's told you to do. Study your Bible. Pray. You're here. Go to church. Those are the easiest tools that God has given you to grow your life, to mature you. Take advantage of it. Use it. Don't be stuck back somewhere where you shouldn't be anymore. Get to the point. And in this case, the point is this. You better watch out. Because the sins of the religious people of the past are still very prevalent in the religious people of the present. Don't get caught up in tradition. Don't get caught up in pride. And don't be a hypocrite. Beware of the sins of the of the Pharisees. May God help us to be the example for those that come behind us. And if we're not, may God give us the humility today to say, God, forgive me, and God, help me from the day moving forward. Lord, I come to you today asking for your help. Such a blessing to have a whole life of church and yet I know I can look back at so many missed opportunities so many wasted years God I pray that today you would help us that we would stop wasting Lord I pray that you'd help us to grow up God I pray that you'd help us to mature through your word and God by your help And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as church-going people. That we would watch out for the sins of the Pharisees. And God, that you'd protect us from man-made traditions. Lord, that you would forgive us and protect us of pride. And God, that you would help us to stop being hypocrites. And truly follow you. And Lord, today I pray that we can look back and see all the things that you've done for us. All the provision, all the protection, all the guidance. And God, we take those things and we claim them as part of our life and we grow from them. And Lord, I pray that you've spoken to hearts through the jibber-jabber of this preacher today. But God, I pray that you would change us, truly impact our lives. And make us into what you desire for us to be. Lord, help us to be willing. And Lord, help us to be committed to do what you'd have for us. So help us today. Help us to see our flaws. Help us to see our weaknesses. Help us to see our sins. And God, may we confront them with you this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. With our heads bowed in, our in the day. thank you, John, for jumping in and helping out. It's Jason decided to skip church today. <laughs> okay. Psalm 119. I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. You know who really decided? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, Psalm 10, 119. Starting in 105, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Except I beseech thee the freewill offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me. Yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are re- the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. God, I pray for your help this, this afternoon as we close out our day and we look at these verses. And Lord, they're so encouraging, so I pray that you would encourage us today through your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been lost before? Do you remember before GPS, the atlas, was it a world atlas? Uh, I had that magazine of a map, and you flip through the pages and you find it, or maybe you had to fold it out, you know, way out here, and you're trying to figure out. where. It's amazing. I learned how to, uh, my parents taught me how to read a map, um, only to find out I wasn't going to need that that talent very soon after, but uh, nonetheless, it's interesting when you get lost and you don't know where you are and you pull out, if you remember, the kids will have no idea what we're talking about, but you pull out the map and you start looking, all right, where am I at? Remember, GPS is right there. This is, this is where I am. It's like the map at the mall. You are here. A map, though, a paper map doesn't tell you where you are. So you've got to find where you are. So you're looking for cities, uh, looking for the interstate. Um, that's when you're lucky, if you're on the interstate looking for directions. But if you're on a side road, now you've got to find all that. Looking and trying to figure out where in the world am I? And then how do I get where I'm trying to go? Well, the Bible is, as cliche as it sounds, the roadmap for our lives. And to be able to pull it out and open it up and see here's where I am and here is where I'm trying to get to. And to know that the Bible can give us that direction and that guidance there. Isaiah 30 says, this is the way, walk ye in it. It's not a Star Wars verse. Uh, only a couple of you will get that. But uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a God-inspired verse. He says, here's the way, now walk ye in it. Do what you're supposed to do. Follow it uh, as it guides you. So three things this afternoon and then we'll head home. Number one, God's Word guides us. How does it guide us? Well, it guides us each step of the way. Verse 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We don't always see the whole map when you open Scripture. Uh, It's not always the big picture. The big picture is in there as well. But a lot of times when we're reading through Scripture, what we're seeing is the next step. Every step I take, uh, everywhere I go, God's word showing me where to step and also where not to step, uh, guiding my, my path for me. Proverbs 4.18 says, the path of the just is as a shining light that shines the more and more into the perfect day. George Mueller, if you've never read George Mueller's biography, um, I haven't read it either, but I've heard it read. Okay, You need to, you need to listen to it or read it yourself, depending on what you like to do. Uh, but it's great. But anyways, George Mueller said, the steps and the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Uh, the idea of not just where to step, but where not to step. When to go and when to stop, when to stay, all those things. It's all in the Bible for us. And so if we follow God's word, it's gonna guide us each step of the way. And I talked about it before, but that that lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. Again, back in the day and the Bible days, they didn't have flashlights, so they would hold lanterns or lamps or fire, or whatever, to guide the path. But from what I understand, and maybe I was taught incorrectly, but what I understand is they had like a almost on the 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 feet where you could see the next step, a little candle. Has anybody else learned that? Have you? Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know who told me that, but anyways, they had a thing where on their sandal they could put a candle. And so as they stepped, it lit the path, the next step for them. Um, And it seems smart, (laughs) so surely it happened, right? Um, But yeah, so I've seen that too. So anyways, guiding each step of the way. Uh, But not only does it guide us in each step, it also uh, shows us a path to follow. So the step is the small things, it's the everyday things. But then a path, uh, the direction that we should go. Again, it's a clear path. It's it's the uh, the understanding of an obvious trail versus a grown-over trail when God guides a path for us. In verse number 106, it says, I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. He says, I have sworn. It's a promise. But a promise is only as good as its performance. Just saying, I promise, doesn't make it work, right? Um, I will not tell you which one of my children, but one of my children oftentimes will say, Dad, if you'll let me do this, I promise I'll never do that again. The reality is, he's not going to keep that promise. So just because you say, I promise, doesn't mean anything. It's what you do with that promise. Do you fulfill that promise? And the Scripture gives us the path to do so. As we commit to following God's Word... God's word will help us fulfill that commitment as we continue to follow it as well. Uh, We see also that God's word uh, guides us even in our weakness or even in spite of our weaknesses. He says in 107, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Everything that I can see about this, uh, this phrase, I am afflicted very much, Quicken me. It has the idea of depression. Uh, bring me out of it. Um, some people, less biblical, call it a funk. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> I got that from Bible college. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the bring me out of it. Quicken me. Make me alive. Make me back to walking and moving and rejoicing and following and 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 and, and worshiping and all these things. Bring me out of this depression, this weakness that I'm in. And, uh, and he sees here, I, I'm afflicted. He says, very much. Those words aren't in here on accident. He's going through something very heavy. So he says, quicken me, make me alive, revive me, O Lord. But how? According unto thy word. It's God's word. I'm telling you and I promise you, I'm not lying. If you read God's word and you're going through hardship you're going to get help. And I know and we've talked about this before there's a difference between reading and studying and we should study God's word but if you got to start somewhere. And if you're going through it I'm telling you just open God's word and start reading. It will help you. He says bring me out of this or quicken me according unto thy word. By the way God's word tells us that he will Which is why he's saying, according to thy word, God, you've promised to help me. So now I'm seeking your help based off of what you've told me. God's word guides us, not only uh, each step of the way, not only a path to follow, not only uh, in our weaknesses, but also through our worship. Verse 108, "...accept I beseech thee the freewill offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments." It is about uh, uh, through continual worship, through a mindset of worship, uh, that as we follow God, He continues to guide us through our worship as well. We see God's Word guides us. Number two, we see God's Word guards us. Verse 109, He guards us through fear. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. We've seen similar verses to this in Psalm 119, but this mindset of, I am concerned, right? I'm going through something and it concerns me. There's a difference between concern and worry. Worry, God says, don't do it. Don't worry. Be careful for nothing and everything. Parent supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known unto God. Concern is natural. Worry might be a little natural, I suppose, but we have to put that into God's hands. Concern is a, God, this is happening and if I didn't have you, I would be worried. That's the way I define concern. Define it however you want. That's not biblical, that's just a Vince opinion. But that's how I define it. Concern is, God, I got this issue, and if I didn't have you, I would be terrified. But I have you, so I'm just concerned. Uh, all right, so God, help me with it. And that's what it is here it's, it's this, this moment of fear. My soul is continually in my hand. I'm in danger. I, I've got this going on, yet. Do I not forget thy law? And and Camden, what is the law? The Bible. We've been going through Proverbs, lots of laws in the Bible, in the Proverbs, but uh, it's the Bible. I'm not going to forget what you've said. And how do you not forget what God said? You have to know what God says. How do I know what God says? I have to read and study what God says. And so we see God's word guards us. Through our fear. Verse 110, it also guards us against our enemies. The wicked have laid a snare for me, a trap for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Again, another uh, look at God's word. I've stuck with it. So God, even though my enemies are here, even though they are against me, even though they have set traps for me, I'm depending on your word to keep me safe from that. How, how do you protect yourself from the snare of the devil, part of it is reading god 's word knowing god 's word that 's a vital part of it uh, the 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 sort of the spirit i mean it's you know, we've got god 's word we 've got so much here where the bible tells us the, the bible god 's word is an is a um, offensive weapon for us it's it 's there for. Uh, going forward and attacking but it's also a defensive mechanism for us too where we can use to fight off and to shield ourselves uh, with it as well and so we see here the 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 guarding that God's Word does uh, towards our enemies making us aware of what our enemies are doing and the, the traps that are set for us and then lastly we see God's Word guides us guard, God's Word guards us and then the last one is God's Word encourages us We see in verse 111, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Uh, Heritage or even inheritance. God's Word. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten an inheritance before. And uh, if you do, it's usually helpful no matter what it is. God's Word, we inherit God's Word. We have inherited it. It's, it's ours. And to be able to have that here, what a blessing that is. And he says there in verse 111 that, For they are the rejoicing of my heart. It's something I, I love. It's something that I cherish because I have your word as an heritage. You think of men oftentimes have a stereotype of not following the written directions. Um, if it has pictures, I'll look at it. If it's just words, what's the point? Um, But that being said, the Scriptures are instructions that we are given. We're given the instruction for a happy or blessed life. We're given instructions for how to be a uh, a spouse. We're given instructions for how to be a parent. We're given instructions for how to be a child. We're given instructions for how to be an employee how to be an employer, how to be a citizen, how to be a leader. We're given all this in Scripture for us to have, and it's, it's ours for free. Literally now, you, don't, you can get on your phone for free. And to know that we have this as an inheritance that we get to have, do we rejoice over that the way the psalmist does? Think about Psalms, when it was written, um the the life frame uh uh, you know david is a a large portion of the psalms but there are others involved too it's been a while ago and when they were praying prayers and when they were being inspired by god to pin down the words for us they didn't have access to all the stuff that we have access to but had access to god and isn't that what god's word is It's access to God. They prayed. They got answered. They had some writings that they could look at and study from and and learn from. So they they thanked God for what they had. We've got so much more. And yet we don't value God's word the same. Um, It's almost like we oftentimes, if we sat down to find out, uh, reading the will of someone and expecting a large sum of money, And we got the uh, uh, picture book. We would go, oh, seriously? Picture book? They're all on Facebook. Why do I need this picture book? Well, they'd be discouraged. The psalmist says, I've got God's word, and that for me is a great, great heritage. He rejoiced over it. We have God's word, and we oftentimes walking out the door go, "Oh, forgot my Bible." (laughs) Guilty as charged. That's why I've got three more in the office just in case. Um, We walk out, we just it's it's just habit in a sense where we just we have it, and it's there, and hopefully we pick it up regularly and we're reading it and all that kind of stuff. But we do not value God's word. The way the psalmist does here. In most cases, maybe you do, but oftentimes we don't. Uh, and then verse 12, uh, 112, it says, I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes alway, even unto the end. The map leads us home. That's what we're following it for. And so the, the Bible gives us the instruction we need, even. Until the end. Until we're done. Until we've reached the X on the map. Until our time on this earth is over. To understand that God's word that we have in front of us here is leading us, guiding us, directing us, guarding us until we get to the end. That's where it's, it's taking us somewhere. How many times do we take the the peace that God has given us to get to the end and we just put it on a bookshelf or on a table we pick it up once or twice a week if you were taking a trip and you didn't know how to arrive how to get where you're going you're gonna keep your eyes on the map if if you're like me when you have the GPS up you're paying attention I don't I don't turn my volume on (laughs) It really annoys me. It cuts into my podcasting and uh, music or whatever I'm listening to, and it really I don't want to hear that. So, uh, so I'd mute it, so I've got to keep my eye on it so I know when to turn and those kinds of things. But if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, uh, you might turn a little too soon or a little too late. You still have to watch what's going on. In the Bible, oftentimes we kind of set it aside and think, I know how to get there. But then all of a sudden we miss a turn. And where does that leave us? Oftentimes wishing we didn't have to turn around. God's Word guides us, it guards us, and it encourages us because of where it brings us to. And whenever our time on earth is done, it's different for everybody, but whenever our time on earth is done, to be able to stand and know that, hey, I followed God's Word, to the end, there's going to be rejoicing in that. As Christians, when we get to heaven, it's not a shame, 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 standing in front of God. Some will try to tell you it is, so that you, they can uh, trick you into living a good life. When we stand before God; it, it, it's it's a it's an applause. Ultimately, it's a it's a it's a worship. God it's a return to God but when we stand before God as Christians he's not gonna as people tell you put all your bad deeds up on the chalkboard so everybody can see them. God says I've forgiven those as far as the East is from the West he's gonna reward you so when you stand before God what will your reward be if you follow God's Word when we stand before God, it will be, and either way, I hate to say it this way because it might discourage you from doing good and doing right. Either way, it's going to be the most amazing event of your life that you've ever seen. But to be able to stand there and have God say, well done, well done, it's like it's like the parent who makes a, man, this is such a childish illustration, and I hope, again, it doesn't diminish who God is, but it's like a a parent who puts together a little, uh, uh, what do you call those things where they hide things and give clues? Scavenger hunt, thank you. Uh, It's like a parent who makes a scavenger hunt, and the kid does it, and the parent doesn't have to help, and the kid gets done, and the mom and the dad say, boy, awesome, good job, and that's wonderful. As opposed to when the mom and dad have to help go all the all the parts, and you get done, and they're like, "Finally," <laughs> God's not going to do that to us. But the reward that we get when we get to the end, when we follow God's word, when we trust Him, when we when we follow and do exactly what He's told us to do, when we follow the map that He's given us, it will be worth it. And I encourage you. I want need to do a whole sermon series on heavenly rewards uh but i'll put that on the list but um we just don't value it we just don't value god's word and what it says and what it tells you when it tells you hey the eternal reward that you lay up in heaven it'll blow your mind i'm paraphrasing again i'm doing a lot of paraphrasing today but that's what god tells us and yet we go yeah but i can't see that What I can see is my bank account. What I can see is uh, the people who like me. What I can see is the people who uh, uh, feel like I'm somebody special. I know it feels good, but I'm telling you, if the Bible says do this and the rewards you get will blow your mind, why wouldn't we do it? What part of Scripture have you found that's false? It's a map. It takes you where you need to go safely, smartly, let's follow it. and Let's do what it says to do. God, help us to follow Your Word. Help us to value Your Word. Help us to uh, claim Your Word. God, just help us to love what You've given us. And may we, as the psalmist said, rejoice in the heritage that You've given us. And may we take great pride, biblical pride, in Your Word and the offer that it is for us. So, Lord, help us to do better. Help us to be more faithful. Um, Help us to be more vigilant in seeking, searching, studying your word. Uh, Lord, I know that we won't regret it. Help us this week with the things that we have ahead of us. Help us to do them with a godly attitude. And, uh, Lord, bring us back together safely uh, to worship together again. Uh, Pray for those that couldn't be here today. And, Lord, pray for your help in each situation there as well pray all this in Jesus name amen all right thank you for your good attention today and for being here uh, Wednesday night at seven if you can-